This is our fifth installment in Romans chapter 8. And our 49th installment in the book of Romans. Now, that's quite a lengthy period of time that we've been in the book of Romans. And a lengthy period of time that we've been in Romans chapter 8. And I have no apologies for that. We're going to be here for a while. You might as well get settled in. There's 16 chapters in the book of Romans. Amen. And we're going to be here for a while. Amen. It's good stuff. The Word of God is powerful. It's like the Bible said, sharper than any two-edged sword pierces. Amen. It gets down to the very thoughts and intentions of the heart. Amen. It talks to me right where I am. It is the most powerful thing that there is to minister into my being. Amen. And so it is with great uh, respect that we open the Word of God, we study it, we, we parse it out, and because we know that it applies to who we are. It applies to where we are. It's not just an antiquated book that was written uh, several thousand years ago and is out of date. It is always current. It is always applicable to where I am right now. Amen? Now, the entire chapter, chapter Romans chapter 8, so far has been about the contrast between carnality and spirituality. We've learned that walking after the flesh makes us subject to the law of sin and death, and walking after the Spirit sets us free from the law of sin and gives us life. In the context of chapter 8, life and death are more than just physical attributes. They are reflective of a spiritual condition, to be dead in the flesh is to be spiritually dead, not not just physically dead, not carnal. You you make you can be dead in the flesh, and you can be physically alive and dead in the flesh at the same time. Amen. So we talk about death in the context of this chapter. We're talking about spiritual death. One can be physically alive and spiritually alive at the same time. That is spiritual life. That's what it means to have life more abundantly. Amen. Abundant life is spiritual life. Spiritual life empowers us. It empowers our physical life. It adds a whole new dimension of living to life. Amen. And so once again, in the context of where we are in the book of Romans, this abundance of life is seen in the fact that spiritual life sets us free from the bondage of sin. We're no longer bound to our flesh. Now today's reading kicks off a segment of this chapter that focuses on the consequences of that new life for the believer. Today's passage emphasizes the personal responsibility that has been placed on each of us in regards to our salvation. We have a responsibility to live after the Spirit. Romans chapter 8, our text is going to be verses 12 and 13. Amen. And it reads this way. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. Amen? Amen. So Paul begins verse 12 with the word, therefore. Therefore, having 
spent the previous 11 verses detailing the contrast between flesh and spirit, Paul now turns to the consequences of the spirit-filled life. Therefore, this is where we're going. This is what happens because I'm spirit-filled and I'm living after the spirit instead of after the flesh. The second word in the verse establishes the audience. It makes clear who he's talking to. Therefore, brethren. What that means is this statement that we're about to read, this section, this this letter is addressed to fellow believers. Paul is not writing in generalities. He's not writing this to lost sinners. He's not writing this to those who are not truly Christian. He's writing this to his brethren in the Lord. That's an important truth because some of the fundamental misapplications of this verse ignore the fact that Paul is writing to his brethren in the Lord. Amen? When we get to verse 13, I'm going to talk about eternal security. I'm going to talk about the false premise of once saved, always saved. And this reference to brethren is a key factor in that discussion. Now, it says it this way, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors. Now we get to the consequences of a spirit-filled life. We are Debtors. To be a debtor means that you have an obligation. When you are a debtor, you owe something to someone. You have an obligation to satisfy a debt. The the very first consequence of a spirit-filled life is that we are people under an obligation. We have a debt. We are Debtors. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. The final phrase of verse 12 tells us that we're not in debt to the flesh. Now, the entire chapter has been a contrast between flesh and spirit, and that contrast is still at play here in verse 12 by telling us that we are not in debt to the flesh. Paul is informing us that we are in debt. We are debtors. We're not debtors to the flesh. That means we are debtors to the Spirit. We owe the Spirit everything and we owe the flesh nothing. To really get the gist of what is being said in here in this passage, we need to reaffirm what Paul means by flesh. Flesh is carnality. Flesh is worldliness. Flesh is a way of life that is contrary to the will of God. It is the evil desires and evil appetites of my flesh that are fueled by the sin nature within me. Remember, we have previously established already in the book of Romans that the flesh cannot please God. That was just two lessons ago. Amen. In Romans chapter 8, the carnal mind is enmity against God. That means the carnal mind is at war with God. And the flesh and the things of the flesh will never please God. So when Paul says that we are not debtors to the flesh to live after the flesh, he's talking about a way of living that is in rebellion to God. 
It's a way of living that is at war with God, that is in contrast to God's will and God's purpose for my life. It is a way of living that ignores the obligation that I have to God. I'm a tetter, amen, and if I live after the flesh, I ignore the truth that I am a debtor, amen. It's a way of living that lives as if it's still under obligation to the flesh instead of to the spirit. Now, very early in this discussion, we talked about the fact that before we were set free from sin, we were bound to sin. We even talked about slavery. We, we, there were two different examples that Paul used. He used the example of slavery. He used the example of a marriage. Amen. In, in both cases, we were bound. We were, we were obligated. It was our master, and we were the servants, and it was in control, and we were submissive, and we didn't have any choice in the matter. Slave doesn't have any choice. A slave does what the slave master says to do. But Paul is saying here that once you have repented of your sins, once you've been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ and you've been filled with the Spirit of God, something fundamental has changed. You are no longer obligated to the flesh. You're no longer beholden to every whim of your carnal nature. You have been set free. Amen. You are now obligated to the Spirit. We said this back in that discussion too. It's not that you are now masterless. You, you have traded one master for another. Amen. You were the servant of sin, but now you are the servant of God. Amen. No man is masterless. Everyone is subject. Everyone is a servant to whatever it is that he obeys, whether it be his flesh unto death or, his, or the spirit of God unto life. Amen. And so now that I've been set free from sin, I am obligated to God. Here's the thing. We have been rescued from the controlling influence of the flesh. The carnal nature no longer rules us. But we have not yet been removed from living in the carnal world. Amen? Our flesh is still with us. It still attempts to assert its control over us. Our carnal nature still raises its ugly head and desires to rebel against the authority of God. There's nobody in this room that is so spiritual that your flesh doesn't try to rule you every single day that you live. Uh, there's nobody in this room uh, that is so spiritual that when you get up out of bed in the morning, your flesh isn't waiting to greet you and to try to derail you in your walk with God. We still struggle with desires that are not in conformity to God's will for our lives. We are still tempted by the sinful nature that lives within us. We, we, we are still have the appeal to our flesh to take the convenient route, to choose the immediate pleasure, to reject the long-term plan of God and seek out our own satisfaction. That will always be with us. That flesh will always contend against us. And what happens is if we are not careful, we start living as if 
we were still obligated to the flesh. That's what Paul is telling us. We are debtors, but we're not debtors to the flesh. The old master no longer has any authority over us, and we cannot afford to allow him to reassert his control over us. We cannot afford to act as if we're still under his influence. So Paul reminds us, we are not debtors to the flesh. We do not owe the flesh anything. We, we, we are not under its control because it has never done anything good for us and it never will do anything good for us. Amen? The flesh may still be a very real part of our lives and we may still live in constant contact with it, but we must recognize that the desires of our carnal flesh that are constantly with us and constantly uh, uh, working against us, those things are not to our benefit. It is not something that we're to yield to or to submit to or to allow to have the rule over us. We don't belong to the flesh anymore. Amen? We're not to live as if we're still under obligation to those things. We are to live as if we are under obligation to the Spirit of God that abides within us. If we're not debtors to the flesh, then we are debtors to the Spirit. And we have an obligation to God. He has cleansed us of our iniquities. He has broken the bondage of sin in our lives. He has filled us with his Holy Spirit. And we have an obligation to live according to the Spirit of God that lives within us. We owe it to God to live as if we've been redeemed. We owe it to God to live as if we've been saved. We owe it to God to live as if we've been set free. Yes, sometimes my flesh says I'd rather do this or I'd rather go there. Or I'd rather be a part of that. I just don't feel like acting saved today. But guess what? I have an obligation. Uh, I don't ever get up out of bed at 6 o'clock on a Monday morning and say, hooray, I get to go to work today. I don't ever get out of bed and say, you know what? I'm just looking forward to going to the office this morning. But I have an obligation. Amen? They're going to give me a paycheck. And I'm going to feed my family and pay my bills. And, and I need that paycheck. So I have an obligation. I've got to be there. Amen? I have an obligation to God. I have an obligation to the salvation that I have received from Him. I have an obligation to the Spirit of God that has filled me. Sometimes that's going to compel me to do things I don't feel like doing. Sometimes that means i got to swallow my pride. Sometimes that means I've got to overcome my own sense of, of self-satisfaction. Sometimes that means I've got to humble myself. Amen. It's not always comfortable. It's not always easy. It's not always the, 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 the funnest route. It's not always the easiest way to go. Sometimes it's a rough path. But I'm obligated. 
to do that which is right instead of that which is convenient to do that which is expedient to my spirit instead of that which is immediately pleasurable to my flesh. I have an obligation to walk after the spirit, not after the flesh, to put spiritual things first in my life. That is my obligation. That is my duty. That is what I owe to God. Now that we have been filled with the Spirit of God, we are obligated to live like it. Amen? Somebody said, you ought to act like you're an adult. I always get mad when they say that to me. I thought I was acting like I was an adult. You ought to act like you're saved. You ought to act like you've got the Holy Ghost. You ought to act like the love of God lives inside of you. You ought to act like you've been forgiven. You ought to act like you've been set free. Amen. If the Spirit of God lives within you, you ought to act like it. Now I want you to pay careful attention here. The fact that we have received the Holy Ghost does not guarantee that we will live holy. The infilling of the Holy Ghost makes holy living possible. It empowers us, but it does not make it automatic. It does not make it inevitable. We still have an obligation to choose righteousness. We still have an obligation to choose to live as if we have been redeemed. We, we've got to make the sometimes difficult decisions to deny the desires of the flesh and live up to the potential of the Holy Ghost that lives within us. Some sins are addictive. Some sins are habitual. Some sins assert a huge amount of control over your flesh. When God fills you with his spirit, make no mistake about it, he breaks the hold of that bondage in your life. But your liberation from those things is not automatic. You're like the bird in the cage. And when the door is open, you're free. But until you fly out of the cage, honey, you're still in a cage. Amen. Whenever he sets you free, when he opens the door, when he breaks the chain, you've got to choose then to do what's right. You've got to choose then to live right. You've got to get out of bed in the morning after God fills you with the Holy Ghost. The very next day, the craving of your flesh is still going to be there. Your flesh is still going to yearn for that addictive behavior that has had you bound. And at that point, uh, you have an opportunity obligation then to, to turn to the Spirit of God uh, and let that Holy Ghost uh, that now lives inside of you empower you to overcome the addiction of sin. You're going to have to exercise your human will. Amen? You're going to have to make up your mind. 
You're going to have to determine in and of yourself what you're going to do. You're going to have to decide, I'll walk by faith and not by sight. I'm going to trust the Spirit. I'm not going to surrender to the flesh. You're going to have to live as if you're no longer a debtor to the flesh, but instead a debtor to the Spirit. As this is where the daily disciplines of being a Christian become so important. I read my Bible daily as a discipline because I am a debtor to the Spirit. He, the Scripture tells me, He washes me with the regeneration of the Word. He cleanses me by His Word. The Word of God speaks into my life and speaks life uh, into my being. And every morning when I get up, I discipline myself to put the Word of God first and to read it and, and to study it. And there I am reminded of the goodness of God. I am reminded of the mercy of God. I am reminded of the power of God. I am even reminded of the judgments of God by virtue of His Word. And those things strengthen me spiritually. That's choosing spiritual life. Amen. I pray every day because I am a debtor to the Spirit. Prayer is a very effective means of bringing my flesh into submission to the Spirit. My flesh. Now, your flesh may like to pray, but my flesh doesn't like to pray. My flesh doesn't like to submit to God. My flesh doesn't like to get down on my knees uh, in the presence of God. But the exercise of prayer profits me spiritually. When I begin to pray, I put my flesh uh, in its proper place. Uh, when I begin to pray, I put my flesh under submission to the Spirit of God that abides in me. When I bend my knees uh, and I call on the name of Jesus, I'm living like I've been filled with the Holy Ghost. That's what breaks the hold of addictive sin in your life. That's what breaks the hold of habitual sin in your life. Amen. When you begin to live like you have been filled with the Holy Ghost. Amen. It starts my day off by affirming the fact that I am not a debtor to the flesh. I don't owe the flesh anything. But I owe everything to the Spirit of God. And if there's any good thing that comes out of my life, it's going to come from Him. And I am reminded at the very beginning of my day that I need Him more than I need the very air that I breathe. I need Him more than I need anything else. And it puts everything in context. Nothing breaks the hold of the carnal nature like fasting does. Talking about Christian discipline. Amen. Nothing breaks the hold of my flesh like fasting does. So I fast. 
I fast not because I enjoy fasting. I fast not because I need to lose weight. Amen. I fast not because it's a good time to go on a diet. and, and, and all. I fast because fasting is the most effective means of putting my flesh in its place. I fast because every day when I get up, my flesh wars against me. And the best way to put my flesh under submission to the Spirit of God is to deny it. My Bible said resist the devil. And he must flee. He doesn't have a choice in the matter. Amen. Fasting is all about the discipline of resisting. It's all about the discipline of denying my flesh. Amen. Telling him to take a hike. I now serve God. I belong to him. I go to church every time the church doors are open. Why do I go to church? Well, I'm the pastor. If I wasn't there, guess what? They'd still have church. And God was still blessed. I don't go to church just because I'm a pastor. I go to church because I need church. I need the precious spirit of God. I need that presence of God. I need the fellowship of my brethren. I need to be provoked unto good works. Uh, I need to see somebody else who's fighting the same fight I'm fighting, uh, who's overcoming the same battle I'm overcoming. In. It's at church, amen, where my flesh is brought under submission. Those are the disciplines of godly living. And if you're going to struggle with a sin problem in your life, if, as a born-again believer, if you're going to have issues with sin in your life, the answer to your dilemma lies in the disciplines of godly living. Pray. Fast. Read your Bible. Go to church. Not just every now and then. Don't just fast when the sin problem crops up. Don't just decide, well, this week I'm a, you know, lots of times we make those kind of commitments. They last a day or two or three or a week or two or three. And then we, we kind of drift away from it. That's not discipline. An athlete doesn't get to be a pro athlete because he works out every now and then. Amen. Come on, baseball season is 162 games. That is intense. That is grueling. Sorry for all you football guys. They don't play near 162 games. Now, baseball isn't near as physical. But, but it, takes, it takes a huge amount of discipline to apply oneself to be that physically fit. It takes that kind of an approach to living for God, to be victorious spiritually. So the, the churches, so many times churches are filled with weak, anemic Christians who don't understand why they don't have any victory, amen, but they've never understood the essential nature of discipline. If you don't pray and you don't fast and you don't read your Bible and you don't go to church, you're not ever going to be victorious. But I was filled with the Holy Ghost. Bless the Lord. That makes it possible for you to be victorious. But you've got to exercise yourself. You've got to put yourself there. You've got to apply yourself to the disciplines of God they live in. Amen. I'm pastoring now. Verse 13 says, For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. 
I'm going to start with that first phrase. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. The verb for live is present tense. It denotes a continual action, an ongoing action. If we habitually or continually yield to the flesh instead of to the spirit, we will die. To put that in context, we're not talking about physical death. We're talking about spiritual death. We're all going to die physically whether we yield to the flesh or not. Amen? The death that we're talking about is the opposite of the life that we've been talking about. It's the opposite of abundant life. It's the opposite of spiritual life. It is spiritual death. If we as born-again believers persist in living after the flesh, mark it down, we will die spiritually. That Now you say, oh, Brother McCall, now you get on all that stuff, but you know, I, God understands I don't pray every day. God understands I don't read my Bible every day. God understands I miss church every now and then. God understands that, that I don't fast. You know, fasting's not easy to do, and God understands all that stuff. And God can understand all day long, but the results are death. You reap what you sow. And, and, and the results of not having any spiritual discipline in your life is that you die spiritually. That's the end result. Amen. If you live after the flesh, you will die. That spiritual life that has been awakened within you will die. That's why we have to realize we're not debtors to the flesh. We don't owe the flesh anything. Because to submit to the flesh is to slowly kill the very gift of salvation that has been given to you. I want to note another thing there. That continual living at, just because you mess up once, don't let the devil tell you you're going straight to the devil's hell. There's mercy. There's grace. That didn't say he who messes up once is going to die. It said he that gets in the habit continually, habitually, lives after the flesh. He dies. It incrementally kills the spirit of God in my life. The devil is a pro at going to new converts and saying, well, you stubbed your toe and said a bad word. You've lost out with God. You, you've done this or you've done that. It keeps a list. And you've lost out with God. The, the key is not in the list of your works, good works or bad. The key is in spiritual discipline. The minute you hear the devil say to you, well, I've messed up. I might as well quit and give up. It's the minute you need to go find a prayer room somewhere, find an altar somewhere in your home, and you need to pray and get that old flesh and that old voice of the flesh under submission to the Spirit of God. You need to get on your knees and say, Devil, get out of my mind, get out of my house, get out of my life. I am victorious through Christ. I've been filled with the Holy Ghost. The Spirit of a holy God lives within me. There's no place in my life for you. Amen? Notice the shift here. From we to you. When Paul was talking about being a debtor, he used the word we. Because we are all debtors. Amen? But when he starts talking about living after the flesh, he switches to you. In other words, Paul is saying, I can't go there with you. That's something I'm not going to be a part of. 
Amen. That's something that I'm not going to get involved in. It's not a wee prospect. If you choose to live after the flesh, then you are going to die. And honey, that's somewhere I'm not going with you. It's not a wee thing anymore because I'm not going to do that. Amen. You go there, you're going to have to go on your own. Now, I want to stop for just a minute right here in the middle of this verse. And I want to point out that this passage, these two verses together, is an explicit denial of the doctrine of unconditional security. We call it once saved, always saved. What we have in these two verses is a very strong affirmation of the very real possibility that a Christian can fall from grace and lose his or her salvation. The forcefulness of that is enhanced by the fact that Paul has addressed this warning specifically to his brethren. I pointed that out in verse 12 before we got here because I wanted you to be keenly aware of the fact that this passage was addressed to Paul's brethren. Those are saved folks. Those are folks that are in church. Now the defenders of eternal security read this verse and they say that when Paul talks about people living after the flesh and dying, that he's not talking about true believers because a true believer would never lose their salvation because a true believer can't be lost once they've been saved. But Paul made it abundantly clear he is talking about brethren. He's talking about those that he calls his own brethren. And he makes an emphatic statement to his brethren, to the church folks, to the same folks that we've been talking about, been set free, and you're now living in the Spirit, and you're now, you're now liberated by the Spirit of God, and the power of God resides in you. Those same folks, he says, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. There's just no getting around that. There's no parsing that out. It is not possible to, to find another understanding for what Paul means. If a true believer lives after the flesh, they're going to lose out with God spiritually. If that's not what this verse means, then it has no meaning at all because it's addressed to the brethren. Amen? If, if it, it would make no sense at all. For it to mean that somebody else could be lost. But the brethren could not be lost. It is important then to recognize the fact that every one of us must live after the Spirit. We have an obligation. We have, a, 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 there's, a, there's a duty as a Christian to the, to the way that I live, to maintaining my salvation. And while I'm at it, let me answer another objection. Paul's focus here seems to be on works, on what you do. Amen. Now, we know from the very beginning of this book that in Romans chapter 3, we, we're, we're, we are justified by faith. We've declared that. We've settled that. We're justified by faith. And so one would have to ask then, how do works fit into a discussion of justification by faith? 
Now, if you've been with us for all 49 lessons, we've already addressed that way earlier in the book of Romans when Paul talked about faith's obedience or obedience to the faith or the obedience of faith. And this passage is a good time to bring that back up again because this passage shows, it demonstrates quite clearly the inseparable link between faith and obedience. Justification is always by faith. But the kind of faith that results in justification is always the kind of faith that produces obedience. It's the kind of faith that results in obedience to the faith or what Paul called obedience of the faith or obedience that belongs to faith. Without obedience, faith dies. It was James that said, faith without works is dead. Amen? And if faith is dead, then the believer is spiritually dead as well. Amen? If you're justified by your faith, and you are, it is by a faith that produces obedience. And when there is no obedience, it is the evidence that there is no faith. Amen? So there's a link between faith and works. It works this way. The link between faith and works is that faith produces good works. And good works strengthen and nourish faith. It's cyclical. Amen. Faith produces good works, and good works benefit faith. And faith produces good works, and works benefit faith. You see, it's a cyclical thing. But the converse is also true. The absence of good works and the presence of sinful works weakens faith and eventually kills faith. And if you live after the flesh, it's not just that you're going to die spiritually. Your faith dies. You lose your faith. And if you lose your faith, you've lost your salvation. Amen? Let me see if I can put it in terms of quite simple. A Christian who continues to live according to the flesh is like a person who drinks a little poison every morning. It may not kill you immediately. But mark my words, it's going to kill you. Amen. It, it, it's that process of slowly killing the spiritual life that has been born inside of you. Every time you resist the spirit and yield to the flesh... You put a little poison into that. Every time you resist the direction that God is trying to get you to go and choose your way over his, you inflict damage to that. Amen. And it can only take so much before it dies. By the converse, every time you choose the Spirit of God and and, and resist the the craving and the desire of your flesh, you put it to death and you increase the Spirit of God or increase the liveliness of the Spirit of God within you. Does that make sense? Amen. It's it's the application of the principle that faith without works is dead. The believer who 
is obedient to the Spirit of God, who yields himself to the Spirit of God, keeps his faith strong, and the result is life. But the believer who obeys the flesh and denies the Spirit, he weakens his faith and eventually he dies. People like to emphasize the grace of God. They're, they're, they like to establish the fact that they are saved by grace, by faith, and, and that they stand alone in that. But I, I want to I make a very strong statement. They ignore the fact, yes, I am justified by faith. And in and that statement, they want to say that works have nothing to do with it. They have nothing to do with salvation. And that statement ignores the fact that justification by its very nature yields sanctification. And sanctification is empowered by the Holy Ghost. And one cannot have the kind of faith that produces justification and not yield to the ongoing work of sanctification in their life. Now, let me put that in real plain terms. You can't say, I've got the kind of faith that saves me and keep living like you're lost. That's just right down where the rubber meets the road. Because the kind of faith that saves you causes you to live like you've been saved. Amen? I am saved by faith, not by works. That's the, that's the, the, the bedrock of salvation, right? But the faith that saves me will always be a faith that produces good works. The two are inseparable. Faith yields obedience. Obedience yields faith. The two are inseparably linked. Amen? So, the last part of the verse. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. Now, I know it's getting late, but we started late. It was 10 minutes till, till 11 when I started. It is 11.30 now. I've been going right at 40 minutes. I'm going to try to finish up in about 10. Will you bear with me? Amen. Once again, just because I was once saved does not mean that I never have to do anything else in regards to my salvation. It does not mean that I can live any way I want to live. Rather, I must mortify the deeds of the flesh in order to continue to experience spiritual life. If you, through the Spirit, do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. I must live out my salvation. I must live according to the life that has been placed within me. I must live according to the Holy Ghost that has filled me. And in order to do that, I have to mortify the deeds of the flesh. Guess what? I've got to do something. I have to do something. My salvation may come by faith, but it hinges on what I do with my faith. I've got to mortify the deeds of my body. What I do matters. I am a debtor to the Spirit. 
And in light of what God did to save me, in light of the extraordinary things that he did to establish my salvation, I owe it to him to live according to the Spirit and to kill. That's what that word mortify means. The word mortify means to kill the deeds of my flesh. I'm to put it to death. And that verb mortify, just like the verb live earlier, that verb is in the present tense in the Greek, which denotes an ongoing continual action. Amen. It's not something I did once. I didn't just once die out to my flesh. I didn't just once kill the deeds of my flesh. I've got to continually die out. I've got to continually mortify the deeds of my flesh. I've got to put the practices of my sinful nature on an altar and kill them over and over and over and over and over again. It's a way of living. Amen? Just because I died to sin once doesn't mean I no longer have to overcome it. It means I now have the power to overcome it. I have now been filled with the Holy Ghost. I have now been empowered to triumph over it. Amen. But I still have to do the very real work of bringing my flesh into submission to the Spirit of God. And I do that by continually mortifying the deeds of the flesh. That's that's living according to the Spirit. It is the opposite of living according to the flesh. That's denying my flesh and saying yes to the Spirit. Amen. That's mortifying the deeds of my flesh. We must choose to overcome the sinful inclinations of our flesh. When you receive the Holy Ghost, the very next day, the habits of your flesh are still going to be there. They're still going to reach out to you. They're still going to try to entrap you. And you have to make the decision to mortify them. You have to kill them. Can't tell you how many people I've talked to that thought it was just automatic. Bless God, he filled me with the Holy Ghost. I shouldn't have to struggle with this anymore. The only way you're not going to have to struggle with this anymore is he filled you with the Holy Ghost and struck you dead right there on the spot. Amen. As long as you're living in flesh, you're going to deal with it. And Christian living is about dealing with it. It's about crucifying the flesh. It's about mortifying the deeds of the flesh. It's about putting that stuff on an altar and putting it under the blood of Jesus. I know I keep going back to it. I have for three weeks now, but it goes back to the disciplines of godly living. We've got to bring our carnal nature under submission to the Spirit of God within us. And the only way to do that is by the disciplines of godly living. That means there are some things my flesh wants to do, but I won't allow it to do. There are some places my flesh wants to go, but I won't allow it to go there. There are some activities my flesh wants to be involved in, but I'm not going to let it be involved. There are some pursuits that appeal to my carnal nature, but I must do the very real work of bringing those desires under submission to the Spirit of God. Now, one more thing I want to point out. The presence of the word if at the beginning of this verse. If you put to death the deeds of the body, you shall live. If you live after the flesh, you're going to die. But if 
ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the flesh, you will live. It's not an automatic thing. It's not just a given. It hinges on an if. God is not going to force you to live for him. God filled you with his spirit. And he's still not going to force you to live holy. He put a holy spirit inside of you. And he's still not going to force you to live holy. You have to do it. You have to determine in yourself, I'm going to live out the better thing that God has put inside of me. Just because you receive the Holy Ghost doesn't mean you're never going to struggle against the desires of your flesh. You must personally desire eternal life enough to subject yourself to the will of God. You must care enough to personally put to death the desires of your flesh. Your will... Believe it or not, your will is involved in your salvation. Not just your intellect. It's not enough just to say, I believe. Your personal will has to be in the process. If you will put the deeds of the flesh to death, you will live. The will is yours. The effort is yours, and the eternal life that it yields is yours, but the key is not the human will. If human will alone was enough, we wouldn't need to be filled with the Holy Ghost. The key here is the Spirit of God. If ye, through the Spirit, say, well, Brother McCall, I tried to live right, and I can't do it. I tried to live holy and I don't have it in me. I tried to resist sin and sin always overcomes me. It all lies in the disciplines of a godly life. If ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the flesh, you're trying to fight a spiritual battle with carnal effort. You're trying to do it by human will alone. You think you can will your way out of sin. You can't will your way out of sin. It's a spiritual thing. You gotta get in an altar. You gotta bend your knees. You got to pray somewhere. You got to read your Bible. You got to have some discipline about your spiritual life. That's what breaks the hold of sin. Amen. The will is yours, but the power to do so comes from the Spirit. It takes the Holy Ghost. The effort is yours, but the effectiveness of that effort comes from the Holy Ghost inside of you. You can't do it on your own. Amen. You don't have the ability in and of yourself. That's why you were filled with the Holy Ghost. And that's why you need to pray. And that's why you need to read your Bible. And that's why you need to be at church. And that's why you need to fast. And that's why you need to speak in tongues more than just on a Sunday night and a Sunday morning and a Wednesday night. The Holy Ghost is the key. Those three words are the key to this entire chapter. Through the Spirit. Through the Spirit. Through the Holy Ghost. That is the means. That is how I overcome. That is how I become everything he's called me to be. David Bernard used this example. He said, human life is like a tree. And as sinners... We were like trees bearing sinful fruit. And at repentance and water baptism, 
we chopped off the old tree, leaving nothing but a stump. And when we received the Holy Ghost, a shoot was grafted into that old tree of a new tree that would produce good fruit. And two natures began to coexist in one tree. There's the wild olive, and there's the olive that was grafted in. There's the one that is that is uncontrollable, that is wild, that is that was natural. That, and then there's that one that is beneficial, that is sweet, that is good. And when you graft in that new branch, then there's a certain amount of maintenance that goes into that stump. Because there are two natures living there. That sap, it feeds both of them. And at the same time, we, we, have to, we have to live our Christian life by allowing that new shoot to grow and produce spiritual fruit in our lives. But at the same time, we've got to be ever vigilant to cut off the, the shoots that are going to spring up from the old tree. We've got to be vigilant to cut off the old fruit, to, to, to work that out of our lives, to constantly watch and cut off those branches. Because you ever cut a tree down? You ever take a live tree and cut it off? It starts sprouting and growing again. Amen. That's the way your flesh works. It's trying to come back. It's trying to grow again. It's trying to sprout out, the, sprout out those new branches. Amen. He's grafted in new life. He's grafted in that new branch. You've got to cultivate the new branch, and you've got to cut off everything else. And if you've ever done that, you know, or if you've ever cut down a tree, I've never grafted one in. I don't know anything about grafting in the new branch, but I know about maintaining that stump. You can't hardly keep that thing dead, amen. You pour everything but diesel oil on it, amen, diesel fuel, and it just won't hardly die for nothing in the world. It's going to come back year after year after year. you guys got to be vigilant. You've got to watch and you've got to guard. That's the way your carnal nature is. It's, it's, gotta, it's going to keep trying to come back. It's going to keep trying to rule you. It's going to keep trying to reassert its authority, and you've got to be vigilant. You've got to watch over it. You've got to guard it. You've got to protect this new life and let it grow. And you've got to cut off all that, all that other stuff. Staying with the example. If you let that other stuff, how many garden? You till up the ground, you get rid of all the weeds. I know I said I was going to be short and I'm being long. A little bit. Oh, I thought you were telling me I was going long. I'm almost done. This is my closing illustration. Now I'm going to be done. Garden a little bit, right? You till the ground. What do you do? You get rid of all the grass, right? You plant the new stuff. I got new stuff planted right now. I got three rows of it. I'm going to have five when I get done, but I'm not done. You know what you got to do next? You got to be vigilant. Why? Because that old stuff I took out of there doesn't want to stay gone. It amazes me. I got to work to death to get jalapeno pepper to grow and it's not even all that great it's just, it's just a pepper it'll burn you but I gotta I gotta work to get that but I, I there's not even any evidence that there's any Bermuda grass there but somewhere down in that that dirt it's there and boy it comes springing up and man when it comes and they, there's a reason why they say grows like a weed because it grows like a weed man it, just, whoom, it grows up there and if you turn your eye for just a minute just a blink it's there and you got to get in there and if you don't dig it out and you don't get the roots and you, it just keeps coming back and you got to be vigilant now somebody tell me why you got to be vigilant what's that it'll take over and what does it do when it takes over it gets all the nutrients and the bad stuff kills the good stuff this is a good example. I'm going to settle here for just a minute. 
That's what happens when you let the works of the flesh begin to grow back up in a spirit-filled life. It's, it saps the life out of the good stuff. I said it's like drinking a little poison every day. That, I thought that was a good example. This is a better example. Amen. Because it, it slowly draws all the life out. It kills the good thing that God has put inside of you. So you've got to guard yourself. You've got to watch yourself. You've got to put yourself on an altar. Not just on Sunday morning. Not just on Wednesday night. Every single day, you've got to have a place where you mortify the deeds of the flesh, where you crucify yourself, where you yield and submit to him. Would you stand with me? There is a way of living that brings death. And there is a way of dying that brings life. If you live after the flesh, you will die. But if you live through the Spirit and do kill the deeds of the flesh, you will live. Ladies and gentlemen, I come to tell you this morning, you've got to be vigilant about your walk with God. You're not going to accidentally make it to heaven. You're not going to accidentally arrive at heaven's gates. If you get there, when you get there, you will get there because you purposed every day of your life. Today, I'm going to live for God. Today, I'm going to put my flesh behind me and I'm going to seek the things of God. Today, I want to live a life that glorifies Him. I'm going to live a life that magnifies him. I'm going to live a life that demonstrates his goodness. Today, I'm going to say no to my flesh and I'm going to say yes to the Spirit of God. And tomorrow when my flesh comes back and tries again, I'm going to say no again and, and I'm going to build a day after day after day after day, a lifetime of good living, righteousness, holiness, and godliness. That's the truth of the matter. You must be vigilant. There's a choice that has to be made. It's a choice between life and death. It's a choice between flesh and spirit. And we make that choice every single day of our lives. Our spirit yearns for prayer, fasting, Bible reading. And somebody said, well, you know, I'm not just talking about praying one hour a day. Paul said pray always. That You understand there is a lifestyle that is in constant communion with God. That is in constant thankfulness for the presence of God. That is that.